Hi, I'm David. And I'm Maddie. And you're listening to Legend Logic. back after a little after a little unplanned hiatus yeah i don't even have anything to blame it on it's just me i'm just gonna accept it maybe we just needed a little time to get our creative juices flowing again you know maybe anyway how are you i'm good kind of worn out it was a long day did you enjoy my cookies from target yeah but you ate the last one okay well i was the one that snuck them into the cart so I think I deserved the last one. You chose a universally beloved cookie, so how do you how do you not expect other people to eat it? Well, you didn't care enough to sneak it into the <laughs> cart. Because I cared enough to lie. <laughs> <sighs> so guess what we're talking about today? Some kind of natural disaster, I would guess. Yes. Unless you decided to completely go off the rails of, like, the design of our podcast. We're going to talk about earthquakes. Okay. Earthquakes. 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 I like mm-hmm. that one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready? Yes. I am prepared. Okay. About a month going on. All right. So if you're anything like me, which I know that you're not, but some people out there might be, You didn't do well in science class and you don't scientifically know what an earthquake is. So I thought we could start there because I don't know what an earthquake is beyond like rumblies in the ground. Uh, So I'm going to give you all a little speed lesson on earthquakes. Okay. So the earth is made up of layers from the inside to the outside. You have the inner core, the outer core, the mantle, and then the crust, which is where we live. The solid crust and the top stiff layer of the mantle, which is right under the crust, make up this region called the lithosphere. The lithosphere is made out of giant puzzle pieces called tectonic plates, which that one I knew. Tectonic plates are always shifting and drifting around. So the nonstop movement of these tectonic plates causes stress on the Earth's crust. And when the stress gets too large, it leads to cracks called faults. An earthquake is the sudden movement of Earth's crust along one of the fault lines, like along a fault. That's an earthquake. So it's great that we have all the scientific knowledge now, but it took some serious trial and error over the years um, to really come to terms with what happens to us under our feet during an earthquake. So of course, historically with earthquakes, we're gonna go back to ancient Greece. So Aristotle gives us the first written explanation that humans had for earthquakes. His explanation was actually inspired by scholars before him explaining what happens Mm -hmm. when an earthquake happens. Um, But this is the first written explanation that is still in existence today. So he believed that strong wild winds are trapped and held in caverns under the ground and they struggle to escape. And so an earthquake is the result of that wind trying to get out of the earth. There's actually a super interesting publication that I think I I linked in the show notes that argues 
and speculates that Aristotle must have kept data on earthquakes in order to draw some of the conclusions that he did. So Mm -hmm. he was able to write that earthquakes were more rare on islands than they were on mainland countries. And he was able to compare and contrast weather conditions and soil consistency and time of year that earthquakes are most likely to happen. And the nerd in me can only hope that someday we're going to find like the first Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of Aristotle mapping out the data for yeah. earthquakes. So it's a well-researched opinion. I feel like like I didn't buy it at first because, I don't know, earthquakes just don't feel like wind moving around to me. Like obviously, you know, it's not physically moving around us. It's supposedly escaping from caverns elsewhere, but that just isn't what the movement feels like in theory to me. But it makes sense if he did all that research and it wasn't just him thinking. Yeah. Aristotle was so confident in this explanation of earthquakes that he actually like schooled any other philosopher that tried. Mm -hmm. Put him down immediately. A philosopher named Anaximenes thought that when the earth is in the process of becoming wet or dry, it breaks. And he thought that the ground sort of like fell in and broke apart, which shook the earth. And Aristotle was like, um, hey, wouldn't the earth be like sinking all over the place if that were the case? And like, how then could we have earthquakes in places that are experiencing long term droughts or are just really dry? Hmm. Like you have no thesis, sir. Yeah, valid point. Makes sense. A philosopher named Anaxagoras thought that the world was flat. Mm. He believed that air naturally rose up from the ground beneath the flat earth. So the earth is just floating on air. He thought that the ground was naturally porous. And when those pores got clogged by rain, the air had nowhere to go. So it was trapped and it would cause the earthquakes. And Aristotle was like, my guy. The horizon always changes when Mm -hmm. we move, so that indicates what? We live on a big sphere. It's silly to think that the Earth lives on air. What do you care about more, the air or the silliness? (laughs) Did not think that's where you were going. I was deep, (laughs) deep in thought about the possibility of all these things. but No, I'm going to throw a friend's reference in there anytime I can. Yeah, constantly. The philosopher Democritus proposed that earth is full of water and the earthquakes happen when lots of rainwater is added to the already existing water in the earth so basically water just forces its way out via earthquakes Hmm, that's interesting and aristotle came back and was like "Mm, hi not all earthquakes have water bursting out some do not all Hmm. can't could not be this (laughs) cannot be Beyond the explanation that Aristotle gave us, which was actually widely accepted until way into the 18th century, Mm -hmm. different cultures have given themselves explanations for earthquakes, obviously. And I found some of them super interesting. So I chose three legends, pretty short legends. Ooh, we get a three for one today? three for one. Um, You're going to get three legends about unique earthquakes. We're going to start with the legend of Realfoot Lake in Realfoot, Tennessee, which has a unique creation story. According to local native legend, Realfoot Lake is said to be named for an American Indian chief who had a deformed foot and was nicknamed Realfoot by settlers in the early 19th century. When Realfoot became chief, he fell in love with a Choctaw princess, 
And I want to point out that the princess's name is lost to history, which tells mm. me that he was not in love with her, that she was just like, I don't know, dummy thick or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Like, they don't, I would assume that if he was really in love with her, they would have, that man yeah, would have survived. Yeah. She was a princess. I can Come see on. that. Anyway, while Realfoot wanted to marry the princess, her father would not permit it. The great spirit warned Realfoot not to act further. He warned that if Realfoot attempted to take the girl against her father's wishes, that the village and the people Realfoot led would be destroyed. Realfoot didn't heed the spirit's warning. He seized, aka kidnapped, the princess and carried her off to Chickasaw territory where he'd arranged to marry her. Oof. The great spirit was angry, to say the least. In the middle of the wedding ceremony, the great spirit stamped his foot in anger, causing an earthquake that raised the Mississippi over its banks, flooding Realfoot's homeland. The water flowed into the imprint that was left by the great spirit's foot stamp, and it swept away Realfoot and his bride and all of his people with him. Supposedly, they still lie somewhere beneath the lake today. Hmm. So, the shape of the lake has more to do with the spirit's footprint as opposed to the guy actually having an oddly shaped foot. Yeah. Interesting. A not bit. not what I was expecting. I mean, I mean they don't claim it to be that way, but you're you're correct in saying that. Hmm. But it was named for the Indian chief, not the great spirit's foot stamp. That also seems weird, but just happened to be the spirit's foot that's just how the spirit decided to make the lake that's how the spirit gets down (laughs) stomping so it's actually accepted by the scientific community that real foot lake was created by a series of extreme earthquakes they point to the new madrid earthquakes that happened from 1811 to 1812 Um, they're called the new madrid earthquakes because they ran along the new madrid fault line oh okay these earthquakes actually caused the mississippi river to flow backwards for a short period of time. So like this sudden push of water flooded the forest area next to this part of the river and Realfoot Lake was born essentially overnight, which is kind of cool. It's a lot of water moving really fast. There are also eyewitness accounts from the New Madrid earthquakes that attest to how catastrophic and supernatural this lake creation probably would have looked for to people back then. Furman LaRoche was a master of a fleet of flatboats operating in the area. He woke up in the middle of the night to find that all of his boats had been carried more than a mile upstream by a wave that came up the river. Again, Mississippi River is flowing backwards, so to him, that's bad omens, scary stuff. A woman named Mrs. Eliza Bryan, who lived in the area, actually documented the situation in a letter that she wrote. And I don't know what happened to her, but I hope she became an author because, like, this is, like, kind of beautiful. So she said, On some days, the atmosphere was so completely saturated with sulfurous vapors as to cause total darkness. Trees cracked and fell into the roaring Mississippi, and on some occasions, the current was retrograde for a few minutes, supposedly due to an eruption in the riverbed. The climax came on February 7th, 1812, with the hardest shock of all when the waters of the river gathered up like a mountain, rising 15 to 20 feet perpendicularly, and then receding within its banks with such violence that it took with it a whole grove of young cottonwoods which edged its borders. Fissures in the earth vomited forth sand and water, some closing again immediately. 
Yeah, that's like crazy stuff. I I feel like I would have thought the world was ending if I lived in that area. Especially if you don't have an explanation for earthquakes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So while history kind of remembers all the notorious earthquakes, like the ones in San Francisco Mm -hmm. in like 1906, that kind of thing, the earthquakes that created Real Foot Lake are honestly some of the most powerful the earth has ever seen. And historians kind of think that they aren't well known because at the time that place was not heavily populated. Mm. So information was not coming in and out like in mass. Yeah, I was gonna say, I've literally never heard of them before. Well, today, Real Foot Lake is a popular resort in Northwest Tennessee. So you can go there and Mm -hmm. have a summer vacay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now we are going to leave North America and head over to Asia. The Japanese believed that a great catfish or namazu lived either under the sea or in deep layers below Japan. It was believed that the god of thunder, Kashima, guarded Japan from the Namazu, basically holding it in place with a giant rock underwater, essentially. Mm. That was the idea. So Japan really relied on Kashima to keep them safe. And as the legend goes, one night Kashima had to leave his post. So he asked the god of fishing and commerce, which is a weird thing to be, it's weird two things to be god of, but anyway, he asked the god of fishing and commerce named Abyss to hold the giant catfish in place. So Ibis, he wasn't ready for the overnight shift. Yeah, I mean, clearly, and I'm guessing. And he fell asleep on the job. When the catfish was released, he thrashed his fins and caused the great Anse earthquake that had a 7.0 magnitude. The disaster struck what is now Tokyo. Hmm. So people were afraid of the Namazu attacking again. And after the Great Anse Earthquake, the belief of the giant catfish actually boomed. So a new type of color wood block called a namazui, or catfish pictures, were sold with the promise that the buyer's home would be protected from future earthquakes if the print of the catfish was attached to the home's ceiling. Wow, you really scamming people. You gotta make money off a of tragedy. Really scamming people out here. <laughs> What's wild is that even though these giant catfish were thought to be feared, some people kind of came to worship them in a way. Those who profited from the earthquake aftermath tended to, you know, appreciate the beast. You know, lots of people in the building trades were rolling in the dough, so Mm, they were excited about it. Today, in Japan, there are still depictions of the giant catfish. There are colorful signs that hang over roads to signal that they would or will be closed during the event of a major earthquake. So, like, instead of something boring and professional, they were like, wow, how can we squeeze some folklore into our road systems? Hmm. Keep our giant catfish alive. Yeah, so it must be, like, a pretty widely told story or maybe not i guess i guess people new drivers or whatever today like people can just be the catfish means an earthquake Mm -hmm. i wonder if anybody asks like why Why? yeah (laughs) i'm sure they do but i will say i have two separate books on um japanese legends and i went through both of them and did not find this legend interesting the the japanese have quite a few legends they do oh absolutely absolutely but i'm just saying this one seems like it would be large yeah i mean i'm also thinking about i feel like i would be much more terrified of earthquakes if i was imagining that it was a giant catfish somewhere beneath the earth oh absolutely thrashing about absolutely yeah that's terrifying Mm -hmm. catfish in general scare me yeah i don't particularly like fish don't like it don't like it 
Now we are going to scuttle back towards the west and talk about a legend in Norse mythology. I'm gonna scuttle. We're gonna scuttle. How does I how how um, does I cuddle? Does I scuttle? <laughs> um, just picture um, Dr. Zoidberg in Futurama going like his sidestep with the claws. Uh, okay. So it's like That's kind of scuttle. a waddle with a little bit of jazz. Yeah. Cool. For anyone who doesn't know, and it's okay that you don't know, Norse mythology comes from Scandinavia. And I'm not good at geography, which uh, David can attest to. He's made fun of me on numerous occasions when I have said something is somewhere where it definitely isn't. But as I understand it, Scandinavia is a subregion of Northern Europe. And to my understanding, it contains Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. Correct. Amazing. My research proved me well <laughs> so norse mythology is wild y'all like i'm just gonna say that if you haven't heard this story that i'm about to tell there is absolutely no way at any point that you will ever guess what's about to happen the roads twist and turn so much that you're gonna have whiplash man that sounds like a challenge stretch it out stretch it out i can pause if you'd like to guess at moments going on a roller coaster i would love to guess though yes okay all right that sounds fun so we'll do that it all begins with Baldur, one of the most beloved of all the gods. He was a happy and generous god until he began to have awful dreams that something terrible was going to happen to him. All of the gods were afraid of losing Baldur, so they asked Odin, Baldur's father, to go to the underworld where he would find a dead Cirrus who would be able to tell him what was to come in the future. Odin disguised himself and reached the underworld where he found it prepared for a party. Something festive was about to take place. Odin found the Cirrus and asked her why the underworld was set up for a wonderful feast, and she told him, very excitedly, that the guest of honor was to be Baldur. She spoke all about how he was going to die, and she was very happy about it until she realized who the stranger she was actually speaking to was. But even then, everything she predicted would come to happen. Odin returned to Asgard and told the other gods what he had learned. Desperate to save her son, the goddess Frigg, Baldur's mother, did something. What do you think she did, David? This is your first guess. She went to the underworld to plead with somebody there. Okay. Desperate to save her son, the goddess Frigg, Baldur's mother, went out to every entity in the cosmos and obtained oaths that they would not harm Baldur. She did this for all living and non-living things in existence. After she succeeded, the gods suddenly found joy in the fact that Baldur couldn't be harmed by anything in the cosmos. So, in fact, they found it so fun that they began playing a game where they would throw things at him and laugh when it would, like, bounce off his body with no effect. Enter the wildly unloyal Loki. Mm, classic. In disguise, Loki went to the goddess Frigg and he asked her, did you really obtain oaths not to harm Baldur from all things? And the goddess replied, oh yes, everything except what? What do you think? Everything except the Oh, what? it's going to be something dumb. Um, everything except grapes. <laughs> okay, I see that. So in disguise, Loki went to the goddess Frigg and asked her, did you really obtain oaths not to harm Baldur from all all things? The goddess replied, oh yes, everything except the mistletoe. 
the mistletoe is so small and fragile that it could never hurt Baldur anyway. Okay, but like if you're gonna go to every other living thing, like there are lots of other small innocent Plants, things. Yeah. Why just like think like, about all the things she had to get an oath from? I know. So she had to do all these other things, but then it got to mistletoe, the very last thing out of all the literal things, and, she was and like, she's nah. like. I'm done. It's all good. I think we're fine. So, of course, instantly, Loki went out, found some mistletoe, and crafted it into a spear. He brought it back to the games where he noticed Hodor, the blind god, sitting out on all the fun. So Loki went to him and said, It's really unfair that you don't get to play like everyone else. Here, I will point your hand in Baldur's direction, and you can throw this branch at him. Hodor, unknowingly, threw the spear of mistletoe, which pierced Baldur and immediately killed him. The gods were all angry and afraid. The goddess Frigg asked if anyone was brave enough to try to bargain with the death goddess Hel. So you were not totally wrong. They just did it a step later. So she asked if anyone was brave enough to try to bargain with the death goddess Hel to see if she would accept some kind of ransom for Baldur's life. Hermod, who was simply, he was simply described as an obscure son of Odin. Mm. That was his description. Anyway, Hermode volunteered to take the journey. He rode nine nights until he reached the underworld. Hermode saw Hel's throne and Baldur sitting by her side, pale and forlorn. Hermode pleaded with Hel to release his brother, and he told her that every living thing felt sorrow at Baldur's loss, especially the gods. So Hel decided to make him a deal. She said, if that's true, have everything in the cosmos weep for him. And if they all cry, I will return him. But if even one refuses, he will stay here forever. Tough deal. So Hermod rode back to Asgard and told the gods, who sent messengers all throughout the cosmos, and indeed, everything wept for Baldur, except one giantess named Tok. Tok? What the heck, Tok? Tok exclaimed that Hel could keep what she had. She wasn't going to weep. Unknown at the time... Talk was not actually talk, but it was who in disguise? Loki, I'm guessing. (laughs) Because talk, a.k.a. Loki, didn't weep, Baldur was condemned to Hell's underworld forever. After this treachery, Loki began speaking ill of the other gods and created issues at every opportunity. The other gods had had enough and set out to capture him. Loki attempted to hide by building a home for himself on a high mountain. What do you think he did during the days and nights while he was up there on the mountain? He grew mistletoe. <laughs> he, he gardened for some mistletoe for okay. fun. Loki attempted to hide by building a home for himself on a high mountain. He morphed into a salmon during the day and sat awake at night fishing for his food. But nothing could save him from what was to come. Wait, that oh, hold on. So, I mean, first of all, to get away from the literal gods, you're going to build a house really high up on a hill because apparently gods can't get up on high hills, question mark. So he actually, the legend goes that he built a house for himself up on a high hill where um, basically all the doors, there was a door on every side so he could see them coming from any direction. Oh, okay, gotcha. So he could run. Yeah, but he was just trying to be in an obscure place, I think. Okay, and then also... What seems weird is that he's going to disguise himself as a salmon, swim around in the water and be a fish, and then during the night he's going to stop being a fish and then fish? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like almost cannibalism, but... <laughs> it's just cannibalism adjacent. Mm, there you go. Okay. That's okay. 
As Loki saw the gods coming for him, he quickly turned into just another salmon in the stream, hoping to outwit them. When the gods reached Loki's hiding place, they saw his fishing supplies, and they were quickly able to surmise that Loki had cleverly transformed himself into the very prey he had been catching and eating. The gods used Loki's fishing net and threw it out into the stream to try and catch the disguised Loki. At his last attempt to escape, Loki made this bold leap downstream in an effort to reach the sea in his salmon form, but he was snatched right out of the air by his tail fins by none other than... Hermode? Thor. Thor. Sick. It is said that salmon actually still have slender tails because of how tightly Thor held on to him that day. Mm. So finally, they were able to get Loki into his human form and locked into a cave. I'm going to give you a warning. This part is about to be a little graphic. So sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's mythology. It's always graphic. The gods brought Loki's sons into the cave with him. They turned one son into a wolf who immediately killed the other son. And the dead son's entrails were scattered all over the cave by the wolf and then turned into iron chains that bound Loki to three rocks in the cave. He's bound literally by his own son's entrails. Mm -hmm. Gross. Yeah. Another god placed a poisonous snake on a rock above Loki's head. This snake was to drip venom on Loki's face over and over again for as long as he remained captive. How do you think he escaped the poison every so often? I have no idea. Loki had a very faithful wife. He had a real one, and she sat by his side with a bowl that she held up to the snake's mouth to catch the poison. Unfortunately, when the bowl became too full, she had to leave to empty it. And when the drops she missed hit Loki's face he would shake so violently that it brought earthquakes to the world of humanity. Bro, that is a long story. I almost forgot we were talking about earthquakes. Like, I was like, we're just talking about mythology now. No, that's where earthquakes come from in uh, Norse mythology. Oh, side note, there were some sources I read that it was actually Loki's sister that held the bowl, but most said wife, so I went with wife. Yeah, there are some places in that story where I'm like, wow, I need to stretch before that leap. Yeah, they're like really going real far to get to this explanation. Yeah. So that's where earthquakes earthquakes come from. Suddenly, the big salmon makes just a lot more sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, you're thinking that the earth is flat and the ground is porous and the air is going to come up and that's earthquakes. What simple ideas those are. Oh, what simple ideas. So a couple of quick legends that I wanted to rattle off just before closing out. Um, I didn't have like enough meat in any of these stories to like make a whole podcast chunk out of. So some fun little bonuses. Fun little bonuses. So in Assam, there is a race of people living inside the earth. That's what they believe. From time to time, the people who live inside the earth shake the ground to find out if anyone is living on the surface. When children feel the quake, they shout, alive, alive. And the people inside the earth will know that they're there and stop shaking. There are a lot of things about that that don't make a lot of sense, but, you know, move on. In East Africa, a giant fish carries a stone on his back. A cow stands on the stone, balancing the earth on one of her horns. From time to time, her neck begins to ache, and she tosses the globe from one horn to the other, and that's when earthquakes happen. Mm. That one's interesting. (laughs) 
In Mexico, El Diablo, the devil, makes giant rips in the earth from the inside so that he and his devilish friends can use the cracks when they want to come and stir up trouble on earth. And that's where earthquakes come that from. That one's terrifying and real dark. Mm-hmm. In West Africa, a giant carries the earth on his head. All of the plants that grow on the earth are his hair, and the people and animals are actually insects that crawl through his hair. He usually sits and faces the east, but every once in a while he turns to the west and then quickly turns back to the east. And that jolt is when we get an earthquake. Oh, I was really expecting it to say like he's trying to shake the insects off. Oh, that would have been, yeah, that would have been. But in, no, he just wants to change direction and then he quickly decides that he doesn't want to yeah. look that way. Like whoever he's waiting for is always going to come from the east, but every so often he's like, but what if they come from the west? They're not the where it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought you were going with the shaking his head thing to shake the insects off. I was about to say that's like the first one that like I could see myself getting to logically mm-hmm. to an extent, but sure. not anymore. So there is a second one in West Africa. The belief is that the Earth is a flat disk held up on one side by an enormous mountain and on the other side by a giant. The giant's wife holds up the sky and the Earth trembles when he stops to hug her. Oh, that's a wholesome. (laughs) I had to add that one because it was just so wholesome. Okay, but imagine like somebody you love dies in an earthquake and then you're like, my God, why could you just have not... Hugged, hugged your, your wife. wife right then. Like, or maybe it's comforting because if somebody you love dies in an earthquake, at least you know that it wasn't a malicious act. It was like an act of love. It just happened at the wrong place, wrong time for your loved yeah. one. I'm Bummer. not, I'm not uh, defending it. So if you were going to make your own explanation of earthquake, where it comes from, what would you say? Think as l- least scientific as you can possibly think. I definitely would have imagined the earth is resting on something that then shakes. Because even even though we know the earth is actually just floating in a vacuum, like logically you would have to think that it is resting on something. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine it's resting on something and then that something moves around for one reason or another. So that's why the giant thing made sense to me for a while because I was like, you're on something that has to be resting on something else. And if it moves every once in a while, then that thing could potentially be alive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the looking east, looking west thing. Got you. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one so much, but. I don't either. I just, uh, I just found it. Yeah, there are some of them that I find really funny, some that I find really wholesome. I actually find the one um, in a psalm really wholesome where they're like, we're alive, we're alive, and they stop shaking the earth. Some of these are just wild. Like, how do they even come up with them? My first instinct is always just like, well, what evidence did you have for that? But back then, they had no way of really obtaining any actual evidence, so... I think they just held a contest, like who can be the most creative and we'll go yeah. with that. Or or someone who was really well respected one day was just like, you know what, I think this is what it is. And then everyone just listened. Or someone got really high on like ayahuasca or something crazy and they asked the universe. <laughs> Isn't it ayahuasca? Ayahuasca? What did I say? You said ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. I was like, oh, throwing a little ayahuasca. fun, uh, fun um, ending on there. No, but maybe somebody just got high and 
asked the universe, hey, what's an earthquake? And the universe was like, um, it's a cow holding the earth on its horn on a sure. rock. I could see that. So whoever had the one in North mythology was on like a real long high. Oh my gosh. Whoever made up Norse mythology, like if they were still alive, they need therapy so bad. Yeah. Um, But then everybody in Greek mythology also needs therapy. Everyone in general just needs therapy. I agree. Everybody go to therapy. Use better help. We're, that's not an ad. We don't get paid for that, but I, I love would BetterHelp. love to be sponsored by BetterHelp at some point. If BetterHelp be sponsored us, mm-hmm. I would consider that a major win. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I've been a loyal customer of theirs for almost two years. Mm-hmm. I'm about to hit my two year therapy anniversary. Yeah. No that's shame awesome. in that. That's a celebration. Yeah, Thank you. Honestly. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Everybody could use a little therapy, even if it's only like once a year, once every six months. It's just nice to have another human being ask you things that you didn't know you needed to be asked yeah but that's that was a real tangent sorry that had nothing to do with earthquakes but it's always good to promote mental health you know i agree especially if you know there's an earthquake and then everybody's afraid and their mental health (laughs) are you capable of not calling it earthquake now or do we need to stop have we been recording too long and you've said the word too many times it's it's lost lost meaning meaning. (laughs) (laughs) earthquake earthquake yeah, see, that just sounds weird now. Yeah, right? Because every time you go to say it, I'm expecting you to say quack. <laughs> I'm just picturing a duck who doesn't understand the, his sound right. So all the ducks around him are like, quack, quack, quack. And he's like, quack, quack. <laughs> like, y'all, what are y'all saying? It's quack, guys. <laughs> there, that's another t-shirt. We had a friend tell us that we said something in a podcast episode that would be our first shirt. Mm-hmm. And it was um, my King Louis episode, the yeah. um, I was attempted gonna say, assassination. I was going to say, you started saying this and I totally forgot what the shirt was. Yeah, but. it's um, uh, don't panic until you know you're dying. Oh, yeah. Our, our little tangent at the end of that episode. Yeah. yeah. So now I think we could have one of a duck that just, of a group of ducks saying quack and the other one saying quack. Yeah, I like that. You're welcome. I would buy that shirt. Either that or we could just get one that says everyone in Norse mythology needs therapy. Hashtag giant catfish. I'm losing it. I'm hungry. Yeah. We need to go yeah, make we dinner. Do. And, we need uh, dinner be done. badly and I can hear the cats screaming. They are yelling. They're so mad. We have to put them in another room. Plus, it's getting hot in here because we have to turn off the air conditioning. Yeah. We need to get better at this. It's really a task to bring you guys these podcasts. So, But we do it because we love you. Yeah. For our loyal fans. Honestly, though, wait. I have another tangent. I'm so sorry. If you're listening to this podcast and you live in Texas... We have a fan base in Texas, and I don't know who it is. I Little think, Pocket? Yeah, I think I know. I know some people in Texas, but, like, sure. not enough that I think that they would be dedicated to listening to my podcast. Yeah. We have a dedicated, like, three or four people in Texas, <laughs> and I want to know who they are. Yeah. Because, obviously, when I look at the stats, it's, like, Ohio, Illinois, um, New York, so we have a lot of friends that sure. live in New York City, and, like, LA, because we have friends that live in LA. Like, it's all the places that I expect. Yeah. And then it's just Texas. I was going to say, I feel like at least at one point I had some family who lived in Texas, but none of those people have reached out to me saying that they've listened to the podcast. So Maybe they just want to be silent listeners. They don't want to be known. Maybe. But if you are those people and we don't know you, shoot me an email because I want to know you. Or if you live somewhere else and want to send us an email, then yeah, let us know. 
Well, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you would like to reach out to us, our email is legendlogicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at legendlogicpodcast. Woo! We hope you keep listening. Bye! Bye!